Hello, welcome to the How to Eat Alone podcast with me, Julia Georgialis. I'm a baker and I write about food. This podcast explores the art of eating alone and looks at topics surrounding loneliness and aloneness. I'll be talking to different people about their own experiences of solitude and solo dining. With every episode, I'll share a recipe or two designed to be cooked and eaten by one person and one person only because most recipes are written for two or more people. This episode is dedicated to my one true love, bread. More specifically, it's about baking at night and about baking and solitude and how these two things go hand in hand. I've worked as a baker since 2014, working for different bakeries and running my own business, The Bread Companion, which I closed in early 2021. The first place that I ever worked was a bakery in Haggerston, East London. I was there for a couple of years and originally when I started there were two shifts. So there was the dough shift or the day shift and that ran from 9am to 5pm. That was where all the dough and the pastry would be made. And then there was the bake shift or the night shift and that ran from 2am to 10am where the bread would be baked. At some point it occurred to myself and the bakers who were working there at the time that Baking at night might not be the best thing for everyone's health and actually it might be quite an antiquated process. The main reason why bakers baked at night in the first place comes from a time when proofing the bread couldn't really be controlled. But, you know, now we have fridges, right, to control proofing and we also have ways of keeping bread fresher for longer. So our shifts were changed and the new bake shift ran from 4pm until midnight, 1 o'clock. I kind of wonder if this might be the case in future for lots of other bakeries, if they might adopt these kinder baking hours and whether true dead of night bake shifts might become kind of extinct. I think the idea of baking at night has been romanticised throughout time and, you know, sometimes it's even contributed to history. The Great Fire of London, for example, which destroyed a significant amount of the city, that started on Pudding Lane in a bakery just after midnight because, as the story goes, a baker left his ovens on. And nighttime baking is also how the croissant got its name. This is one of my favourite food history stories. So in the 1680s, the Ottomans tried to invade Vienna. They crept into the city really early in the morning or really late at night, depending how you want to look at it. But the bakers, who were the only ones awake, alerted the Viennese army and the Ottomans were defeated. The croissant was created to celebrate this victory. The shape of the pastry is a crescent shape. Croissant in French is crescent, just like the crescent on the Ottoman flag. Baking at night has these moments of beauty. You know the world around you is sleeping and the streets are empty and it's, it's quite solitary and, you know, you might be alone in the bakery with only a podcast or the sound of crackling bread when it comes out the oven for company. And there's something really nice to it, but I personally found it incredibly isolating at times. I got in touch with three of my old pals who I used to work with, Gloria Ford, Elisa Murphy-McFarlane and Maisie Collins. And I spoke to each of them about working night shifts and how they feel about working on their own. Gloria is a chef and baker, and she was actually the lead baker when I worked with her. Elisa is a Canadian pastry chef. She's moved to Glasgow to set up her own 
home bakery. She also does a lot of illustration and photography and artwork. So as you can imagine, her baked goods are always really beautiful and have so much personality. Maisie also trained as a chef and she recently set up her own social enterprise bakery, Hearth, in Hackneywick. Hearth has a mission to provide bakery training for young unemployed people and it also really beautifully offers up its ovens to the public once a month so that people can head to the bakery and bake together. I start by talking to Gloria who, to be honest, remains to this day one of the only bakers I've ever met who loved working in the middle of the night. It was a very peculiar individual thing, a night shift, I think. I I look back at the bait shifts, the ones that started at 2am, not the new bait shifts that changed into reasonable hours, but the unreasonable ones. I look back at them with a lot of nostalgia. A bit of a job that I really liked. (laughs) So that's actually kind of what I wanted to talk to you about, because you're the only one who really liked the original 2am to 10am shift. I also liked aspects of that shift but I much preferred the 4pm to midnight ones but you loved it and like why? It just really fitted in with where I was at the time I think. I I was craving solitude like I really really wanted to be working on my own and really relished working on my own when I got the chance to because the the way that the daytime shifts went they were very demanding on my social skills and my social skills are not that great. Being able to arrive in the dark to a big empty place and carry myself in whatever way I pleased without having to worry about giving the right impression. And then to kind of finish on this glory at the end because, you know, everybody came into the bakery and the first thing they did was look at the bread that had been baked the night before. It meant that I got like six to eight hours of working on my own at a pace that suited me and then got to kind of walk out at the end with my head up like it's it was a great learning like in terms of becoming a better baker I I found it brilliant because each project was yours I found it the best section of the baking process to get a really really good overview of what actions gave what consequences in terms of the baking science so it, it was very helpful Oh, I don't know. I liked the shift, but it didn't fit into my life. And I found myself really isolated when I didn't really want to be because I was living on my own at the time. It just kind of meant that if I did do a few days of night shifts during that time, I didn't see anyone and it, you know, it was really lonely. Yeah, no, I found that too, but I think I wanted that. Maisie comes at night shifts from a different angle. She doesn't agree with them necessarily, but she doesn't hate them either, as they give her the space, I suppose, to work alone. In fact, I think she sees them more as an act of duty, something that she kind of has to do to get her new bakery to work. I've done a lot of crazy hours. Till, up until this bakery, it, I hadn't done any overnighters. I ju- it just never appealed to me. And in all honesty, just thought that it was something that I was never going to be capable of just because of knowing how my brain works and knowing how much I rely on sleep but I mean I've done some crazy chef jobs where I'm doing like 90 hour working weeks and you start at six and you finish at 11 and then you're back up at six and that's gross but I kind of left that part behind and then it's only now that I have started my own business that I picked up 
you know, a few gross hours again. I think the worst one was when I worked from 6 a.m. until 4 a.m. the next day with a 20-minute break. <laughs> and I don't know how my brain continued to function the next day or how I functioned or how anything actually got done. But it did, you know, through sh- sheer stubbornness and willpower. <laughs> and also because it's your own thing, you just push on through. I think that was basically the driving force, you know, knowing even though it is my own thing, it's not just me that I'm supporting by doing that. It's all of the staff as well. And at that time, we didn't have many bakers and we couldn't really afford more bakers. And so doing that was kind of contributing to future bakers. I mean, I definitely had like a weird enjoyment of doing the shifts in the early days where I was doing night shifts and it's like driving at night when the window's down, like having that weird, refreshing feeling. (laughs) And just, you know, I basically binged podcasts and had a space to myself where I could really just crack on and get a lot done. I am naturally an, an introverted person and I really enjoy being by myself I would you know I'd rather have a a night in than a night out and in terms of working I kind of I always find like a weird calmness in it if I'm you know speedily but calmly um, kind of mindfully making something I think that's a really nice process I think the the thing about baking at night is that it's all kind of rhythmic and like everything is done in a certain order and um, at a certain time and it's almost kind of meditative in that way like you kind of and moving to a certain pulse, then at the end of it, you'll end up with something lovely. And there's something always really satisfying about being the last person to close down the kitchen because it's clean and it's going to stay clean for several hours. <laughs> Elisa, on the other hand, didn't do too many of the 2am shifts. She, as many other people I think would agree, didn't really enjoy them. I did it three times, I think, the two till ten. And... I don't know. I'm I'm not that kind of worker. Also, I was living in Kentish Town at the time when I did that and I was riding my bike. So it was a bit of a like weird thing to go to bed at like 5 p.m. to get up at like 1 <laughs> to have a coffee and like get to work on your bike in dark London. It was a bit of an odd experience. And also I was fairly new to the city. So it was a bit of a confusing time. But I liked the principle of it. Like when I started doing the four till twelves, I really enjoyed that shift because you'd work with people at the beginning and then everyone would sort of trickle out of the building by about six. And then you'd put on your music and you'd check the fridges to make sure the bread was proving at the right times. And yeah, it was really exciting. I liked that. It is nice to be working by yourself. At least for me, I find it sometimes can be a a little bit easier. I can manage my time a lot better and I'm not distracted by other people. So I can just like put my head down and work, you know, either if it's like baking bread or making like 24 pastry cases or whatever the task is. I think it's nice to not have that distraction. You know exactly what you need to do. You can lay everything out. You don't have to answer questions. You can just go. I enjoy doing it on my own because I like seeing the whole process from beginning to end. I like getting the ingredients myself, sourcing them myself, knowing where everything comes from. I like writing my own to-do list. (laughs) And I think the thing that I appreciate the most is... I know what I have to do. I'm not getting surprised with a new task all of a sudden. 
because working in a restaurant, if lunch service was really busy and you have to make then more for dinner time, but you've got a whole other list of tasks, it can be quite stressful. So I think my stress is way lower because I know exactly what I'm doing every day. So this rhythm of baking that Elisa and Maisie refer to, whether it's during a day shift or a night shift, and the way that your day kind of needs to be set out to make bread, I think does provide some kind of stability. You know, working in a kitchen, chefing is more stressful. I can tell you that as well. It's more stressful than baking, as Elisa says. Maisie has also found that bread has given her this foundation that she can kind of structure her life around. It's really helped me just in terms of finding some kind of stability with what I want to do um, and you know where I want to be and I think being a chef is great but there's a lot of kind of instability in it and not just from crazy hours and all those horror stories but from constantly menu planning and constantly having to move and run around and catch up the seasons I feel like with bread you're almost in control of something the whole time and that's a really nice feeling to have. I don't have any scientific research to prove this and and I haven't done any big official studies but in my seven years of baking I just generally find that bakers are a lot more solitary in comparison to chefs. You know like I said I'm not saying that there aren't any really chatty bakers who are super extroverted but to chef is to work in a busy noisy kitchen in a big team perhaps and be the overseer of lots of different processes that are brought together on a plate. But when you're a baker, you're the overseer of just one process, of just one element. Making bread is a bit of an escape. When you're baking at night, it, it kind of really does feel like you're separate to the rest of society. Gloria agrees. I felt like I was living on a different planet. Yeah, and that kind of living on a different planet I quite liked because I quite liked going against the commute in the morning, for example. Like everyone's going to work and then I was coming back from work. I liked that. I don't, thinking of that, there's a massive downside on the other end of that, which was the beginning of the shift, which I really, when I first started doing a bait shifts, it was not long after I sort of crashed out of a couple of years of really hard partying. Mm. And to get to, to Haggerston for a 2am start, I had to get a night bus through Shoreditch, just as the sort of pubs were turning out, you know, like one thirty. ish Yeah. And I, I found that really, really difficult. Not any longer being part of this, this nighttime world. Like I, you know, I was still awake and active at the same time as I would have been if I'd been partying, only I was starting a, a shift at at work so being surrounded by people who are literally on another planet yeah the totally different headspace to where you are yeah i was thinking about it and because obviously we were working in haggerston and during the day it's also quite busy and there's a lot of people working and there's loads of offices and studios around there but then at night it's like the people who are around just totally change that whole street where our bakery was was just full of drug dealers it was a strange yeah it was a funny street whereas during the day it's like super residential and kind of focused and people are working and then at night it's just dealers and then you see all the other people doing the night shifts as well like the supermarket workers and whoever else is about on the times that i would get the bus all the way to work from where i was in Vauxhall, particularly when i was a little bit late so i felt like starting at two o'clock it would, it would be party people that you'd bump into but as you got more into the sort of the, whatever we call them 
There must be a romantic name for them, the hours between two and four. That's when, yeah, that's when you'd see people sort of catching up on their sleep between shifts and stuff. Like, really, the, the unseen workers of London is... I always imagined, when I saw most people, that they were cleaners. But I, I imagine some of them were actually bakers. <laughs> you know, like, there was more than one bakery. <laughs> it's funny, like, the other people who were doing night shifts it's it's bakers it's doctors it's firemen it's policemen it's cleaners supermarket workers lots of merchandising as well so much happens outside of opening hours yeah i remember finding tremendous kinship with the postman when i was doing night shifts i remember because i i did them for a couple of months and of course got kind of depressed because that's what night shifts do to you and i remember i'd often see the postman when I came home and I remember telling him I'd just come off a shift and having a really lovely sort of conversation where we just really found lots of identification with each other and we could sort of look at each other shadily from underneath the hoods of our eyes. I got depressed because that's what bake shifts do to you. What Gloria just said is the biggest problem with night shifts. Everyone who does them or who has had to do them in the past knows they are terrible for you, both physically and mentally. Do you remember always just feeling very, very cold when everyone else was hot? No, I think about the opposite, actually. I know it really affects your hormones. Yeah, that fits with my experience, I think. You were so deathly tired at the end of it because the sleep that you can get, I think, when you're doing night shifts and you're sleeping outside of nighttime hours with all of the eye masks and the blackout blinds that you can find, I still don't think that you really can get the same kind of shutdown that you do when it's dark and when the world is quiet. I'm not sure that there is anybody who night shifts suit biologically. I think night shifts suit a number of people because it, it, it means that businesses can operate in a certain way and it means that if you want to be working two jobs or if you've got something that means you can't work during the day, then you can still make a living. But I'm not sure there's really any proper goodness to be had from them. No matter how 24-hour you make the world, it's really, we still do operate on very much a night falls, this happens, daytime starts, this happens. But there's definitely an onus on finding ways as an, as an employer to protect people who are working night shifts, I think. Q Maisie, a new employer who's fiercely trying to protect her staff from working bad shifts. I basically am trying to build a nice hospitality place based off of all the bad experiences that I've ever had in jobs and doing the opposite of that. Um, so everybody who has a shift tends to work in the same time zone until they've had two days off. So if you're a baker and you're doing the 6am till 3pm shift, the next day you won't be doing the 9am till 6pm shift. So you have some kind of stability in your sleep pattern we did have a night shift which we have stopped doing for now we don't need it right now but we're intending on picking up like wholesale so which will then have like a three um until midnight i think shift be quite nice and like enough time to kind of have a good handover of the other bakers and have some human interaction before being left to it I think it's important that we don't do any overnight shifts because i think in the long run they're just not sustainable it just you know you just end up feeling so jet lagged and I don't think you should be asking anyone to be doing those kind of hours. Maisie's mission definitely comes from working too many bad hours over her career but 
I kind of also think perhaps employers offering nicer, more reasonable working hours and generally being more clued up about not seeing human beings as work machines is a lasting legacy that the pandemic will leave on the way in which we work. You know, and also for the employee, we don't want to work bad hours anymore. And Elisa also has this attitude to how she wants to work for herself in the future. I ask her what her hours are like now that she works for herself instead of in a kitchen. Oh, they're all over the place. I mean, it's it's hard to schedule in time off because, I mean, you know this, when you start running your own business or businesses, there's so many things that need to get done. So I don't really feel like I have a schedule. I try to stick to the like nine to five working hours because I like to be able to have a point in the day that I finish. So like 5 p.m., I like to be on the couch, glass of wine. <laughs> so yeah, I don't ever want to get to the point where I'm I'm working beyond my plan. But it's it's hard because, you know, like bread, you kind of have to be on their schedule. So sometimes it doesn't work out that way. So no more night shifts or there are some night shifts. Oh, I have to get up early for sure. But like my commute is very short. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> go downstairs. So that's where it becomes great is when I know I have to get things out of the fridge by about four to have things ready by the time that I need to go deliver them. So still have an early rise time, but my commute is just to the kitchen where there's coffee and I can wear my pajamas. I think one of the things that isn't often discussed is eating on a night shift. If there are no main meals in the small hours, then what do people who work in those small hours eat? My therapist gave me some really useful advice when I started out doing night shifts, which is that she kept on talking about flight attendants and the training that they'd have to try and sort of stay adaptive and and flexible with all of the different time zones that they go through. And the key thing was that trying to keep your meal times and what your meal consists of, like, you know, if it's more breakfasty or dinnery, trying to keep them as regular and as like the rest of the world as possible. I did that. That was how I managed. I don't think I would have managed any other way if I hadn't kept my meals consistent. I remember we talked a lot about sugar at the time. I never drank caffeine or ate excessive amounts of sugar when I was doing those shifts because I found they made me tireder. I drank an astonishing amount of tea during a shift. I think that did me a lot of harm. So it was the only refreshment that you had at hand. Like when you're working in a kitchen as a chef, you know, you're, you're tasting stuff all the time and you, you might not sit down to eat, but you're entertaining your mouth. <laughs> Whereas in a, in a bait shift, it's just loads of flour. And like carbs, like sugary carbs. Oh yeah, the cookies. Yeah, the cookies. The cookies did me in. Damn those cookies. I think if I was going to set up a bakery now, it'd have to be like a buffet fridge. <laughs> yeah, look, full of nutritious salads. <laughs> I'd quite like to do it again. I really fancy some night shifts. <laughs> it's there's stuff you don't do when you get older and you have a bit of experience, and I feel like night shifts might be one of them. Yeah. Because I was, what, 27 when I was doing those shifts? Mm. It's not that long ago, but the energy that I had was totally different. Well, it's very telling as well, is that once you, you know, once you get out of it, how difficult it is to get back in again physically, how it feels like so much too much, even only a few years after you stop doing it. I think that's really telling of how hard it is. But, you know, we have many 
many years of working ahead yeah ahead of us i i kind of feel like my last night shift is not done yeah i don't think my la- last night shift is done either yeah i'm quite i'm looking forward to it if i'm honest i feel tempted to get off this call and go and actually like look at look at bake <laughs> um, do it so there you have it the bake shift you can hear from all of us that there's a soft spot for it Next time you buy a loaf from your local bakery, why not ask the bakers about the process? Ask where your bread was made, how and when the loaf was made, and who was it made by? It might spark a really interesting conversation, not just about bread making, but also about how we look after the people who make our food. I've put up two recipes. One is for a baker's loaf. So a baker's loaf is usually a small loaf of bread made using excess dough. It would traditionally be baked by the baker on their bake shift and taken home by them to eat at breakfast time. I've given you a recipe for 100% rye, which is actually much quicker than a white loaf. Time is quite important if you're a solo cook. I've also given you a recipe for those deadly chocolate chip cookies that Gloria and I would eat on our 2am shift. I suggest making a normal batch of cookies. But freezing the dough and just baking one or two off whenever you feel like a sweet treat, I think it's kind of nice for the solo cook to have a stash of cookie dough somewhere in the house. You can find both of these recipes and more information about this podcast, including all the links to the bakers and their work at howtoeatalone.substack.com. There's also an option to subscribe to my Substack. So there are both paid and free options and subscribers gain access to articles and more recipes and generally more things about eating alone you can follow this podcast on instagram the handle is at how to eat alone podcast and if you like this podcast share it with someone who you think might like it as well i'd like to thank gloria elisa and Maisie for talking to me and i'd like to thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed being alone with me and i'll see you next time for the next episode of how to eat alone